Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. A good way to study the Bible is to take a passage of Scripture and ask four questions about it. Is there an example in this passage that I need to imitate or avoid? That's question number one. Is there a command I need to obey? That's question number two. Number three, is there a promise I can claim, a promise I can latch onto? And number four, is there a warning I need to heed? And uh, as I was studying this passage of Scripture out of Luke chapter 5 this past week, and all I could think about was, oh man, do they need to hear this? But as I was looking at it, it started affecting my heart. And Jesus said, no, Dale, you need to hear this. You need to be changed. There's an example you need to follow. There's a command you need to obey. There's a promise you need to latch on to. And Dale, there is a warning you need to heed. I get to tell you a little bit of a story today about how the Scripture is still transforming me and changing me, calling me to be transformed, to be more like Jesus. What we call that is repentance. Turn from our old way and take on the new way of Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, one author, commentator on Scripture says, it seems like Jesus is either going to, coming from, or eating at a meal. And you'll see several instances, if you read the Gospel of Luke through, where Jesus is going to a meal, coming from a meal, or eating at a meal. Luke mentions food. He has this theme of food that travels all the way throughout. Uh, Meals are a way to break down barriers and build up relationships. And I don't think anybody knew that better than Jesus. And in this passage today, we find Jesus eating with people that uh, everybody else said he probably shouldn't be eating with. His reputation would be harmed if he continued down that path. And it made some people mad. Uh, Another author said, the reason why they killed Jesus is because of the way he ate with others. And as I read the passage today, I'd like for you to think about, pray about, is there an example you need to follow, imitate, or avoid? Is there a command you need to hear and obey? Is there a promise you need to latch onto, or is there a warning you need to heed? And I'll read it all the way through, uh, starting in chapter 5 beginning in verse 27, and I'll read all the way into 39. And just think about that question as you listen to this passage being read. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of a bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. In those days they will fast. 
He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new one will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking the old wine, wants the new, for they say, the old is better. Did you hear anything in there? An example you need to imitate or avoid. A command you need to obey. A promise you need to latch onto or a warning you need to heed. I think all of those questions can be answered in this passage. And I think as we break it down, we do need to, I love alliterations, run to Jesus, reach people for the gospel, and repent of our righteousness. Let me explain The first command that I think maybe we need to obey is to run to Jesus. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said. A command to Levi. That after this is referring to the stuff that had come before chapter 5. Things that Levi might have been aware of. Levi, as a tax collector, would have been like a toll collector a toll booth set up along the road, out of Galilee, into, uh, into different areas of the Roman provinces. So Peter, James, John, and Andrew, fishermen that Jesus had called in an earlier chapter, Levi probably taxed them on their fish. The average Jewish person in that area, even at the Sea of Galilee, would have had less than two ounces of fish per week when they ate their meals. So even though they were fishing, the taxes were so exorbitant that they didn't get to eat what they caught a lot of times. That's one of Levi's jobs. He gets to tax people. The Roman government had set up tax collectors with this this kind of uh, uh, job. You have a quota to meet yearly, and we don't really care how you meet it. And we'll send soldiers to help you meet your quota. So tax collectors could tax anything and everything they wanted to meet their quota, but since there was no regulations, they could tax above that, and they had soldiers behind them to help you pay your taxes if you hesitated. It's kind of like working for the mob. And so Levi was not, people didn't like him. They didn't like any tax collectors. In fact, there were prostitutes, there were thieves, there were murderers, and then there were tax collectors. After this, it says, Jesus came across Levi. After this, well, he had called Andrew, Peter, James, and John. He had said, follow me, and they had left their business, probably one that Levi was taxing, and began to follow Jesus. Then Jesus begins to to gather a crowd around him. He becomes very popular. He heals a man with leprosy, and he does it in a strange way. He actually touches the leper. Now, everybody knows during that time that if you touch something unclean, you become unclean. The uncleanliness gets on you, and especially if you have leprosy, a disease they couldn't figure out, but it, it ruined people's lives. Uh, you could go from a, uh, being in a family to an outcast in a minute if you developed leprosy, and yet Jesus touched him, and his uncleanliness of that leper did not not get on Jesus, but Jesus' righteousness got on him, and he became whole, healthy, healed. This crowd started following Jesus, and then Jesus healed this man who was paralytic. But those are outward, visible signs of miraculous intervention, and Jesus said, even better, I can do an invisible sign of miraculous intervention. I can forgive sins. 
It was after this that Jesus comes to Levi and he says, he commands, follow me. And Jesus got up and left everything and followed him. Levi can't go back to his tax collecting job once he leaves it. The fishermen, they do go back after Jesus dies. They're like, oh man, we must waste all this time. They are able to go back to their jobs. Levi is never gonna be able to go back to his job once he leaves it. And he leaves his job and he leaves that source of income. He gives it all up. He trades the old way of doing things for the new way of Jesus. He gives up his own life to follow Jesus for the new life Jesus is going to give him. And that might be a command that you need to hear today. Now, there is some negativity and some positivity that follows if you follow Jesus. The negative is pretty apparent almost immediately. Jesus says, follow me, give up your life and follow me. Jesus says, lay down your life and follow me. Jesus says, if you don't hate your mother, your father, your brother and your sister, you cannot be my disciple. What he's saying is, you really do have to leave your entire life behind and begin to follow him. Nothing can be more important than Jesus Christ if you're gonna be his disciple. Levi got it. Levi left everything. He left his, his whole way of knowing life to take up the life that Jesus would give him. Jesus says, take up your cross daily, learning to serve and serve others over and over and over again, giving, literally giving up your own life to take on the life Jesus gives you. Paul says, when that happens, you're gonna suffer. But the suffering is not outweighed. It is outweighed, totally outweighed by the glory you're gonna get with Jesus. There is a negative, but there's a positive outweighs the negative by leaps and bounds. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus, we begin to experience the kingdom of God like no other time. We get to participate and experience Jesus Christ when we begin following him. Eternity is not something that is set up for the end of time. Eternity starts as soon as you begin following Jesus, as soon as you obey to follow Jesus Christ. The power of God begins to enter into your body where you have the Holy Spirit giving you more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But it's only after you give up your life that Jesus gives you new life. I wonder who needs to hear this command today. Joe and Kathy Bartoletta, they come to church here. And they're from Italy. Joe's from Italy. Uh, that's why I have trouble saying his last name. And uh, Joe speaks two languages. I have trouble, at least two. He speaks Italian. He speaks uh, uh, English. I have trouble with a little bit of the American that I know. And Joe, years ago, and this has got to be one of the hardest transitions to make, to leave your old life. Joe and Kathy come from a Catholic background. And Joe, years ago, decided he would leave his tradition and leave what his family said is right and follow after Jesus. And Joe was baptized into Christ. In the next couple of weeks, Kathy, his wife, who also grew up Catholic, she said, I want to obey Jesus. I want to obey the command to follow Jesus. In just a couple of weeks, with her small group gathered around, she will be baptized into Jesus Christ. Because, yeah, that's cool. This is a hard thing to do. Yeah, we can clap for that. But the decision from Kathy is, she told me today, I need to obey the command to follow Jesus. 
That's one of the hardest things to do, to leave your tradition, to leave the life you did know. Listen, Joe and Kathy are beautiful people. Kathy, before she made the decision for Jesus to be baptized in, to obey him, I've known her for a couple of years. She's a beautiful, wonderful person. She's kind and friendly. And yet she was living outside of a relationship with Christ. Now she's decided to be in a relationship with Christ. And the beauty and the glory of the kingdom of God far outweighs, and she will experience the negativity of following Jesus. Because once you commit to Christ that way, the people from your old life begin to condemn you and they reject you. But it's so worth it. I don't know who needs to hear today the command that Jesus gives, but it's an urgent call. And we need to run to Jesus and we need to obey the call to follow me. And following me means, following Jesus means we give up our old life and we take on the life Christ gives us and we imitate him. Whatever he does, we try to do. In fact, Jesus says, when you follow him, you're gonna do greater things than he has done. Isn't that incredible? Jesus, who walked on water, who healed lepers, who healed the paralyzed, who drove out demons, Jesus says his followers are gonna do greater things. And the greater things have to do with the amount of people you can reach with your testimony for Christ and the amount of people you can bring to the Lord. Jesus, in his three-year ministry, had a followers when he had died and risen and ascended to heaven of about 120 He said, those followers are going to do greater things than me. And he's not talking about the miraculous healings. He's talking about how the kingdom of God would grow and expand to encompass the entire known world. All because people accepted the call, ran to Jesus, obeyed, follow me. We also need to reach others for Christ. There's a couple of examples we can follow through this. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. You know, Levi, as a tax collector, a reject in the Jewish religion, he was also hated by the Romans because he was Jewish, but they needed him to collect taxes. Well, the the way it worked in the religious system is that if you worked with the Romans and you worked with their money, you became unclean. And so if you didn't go and do all the ritual washings to get clean and all the ritual ceremonies, you, could not, you couldn't go into worship in the temple of God. And so not only was he hated by Jews for being a betrayer, but he was also unclean. He was hated because he was outside of God's kingdom. And they condemned him from afar. We don't like you and we don't like your kind. And here Jesus was going to eat with them. Probably only the friends Levi had were other tax collectors. The Pharisees could see into this room. They could be on the outside of this meal, and they were watching. Now, they eat differently than what we're used to and what we kind of understand. I found a picture of it online. It kind of explains what's going on. They'd have these couches or these rugs, and they would lay leaning on their side, and they would eat out of a meal out of the middle of the floor. Um, It kind of, if you can imagine, looks like this. Now, this is hard to imagine that we're eating this way. Can you imagine when we go to Bill's retirement open house in just a little while? We sit around, we have some cheese balls and meatballs out there in the atrium. We're all just laying in the floor eating. This is kind of what it was doing. Now, 
if you eat this way and you get closer to each other, you can actually like lean on the person behind you, especially if you put your feet away from the table. There's a story we're going to cover where an A sinful woman comes in and washes Jesus' feet while he's at dinner. Well, how does that work? Well, his feet are behind him. The table's in front of him. Everybody's enjoying dinner, and all of a sudden, there's a commotion down at Jesus' feet. This is probably similar to the way Jesus was eating at the Last Supper when he said, one of you is going to betray me. And it says the disciple that Jesus loved could lean back and put his head on Jesus' chest and goes, who is it, Lord? And Jesus says, this is the one. I'm going to dip this bread in. He dips the bread in the, they didn't have gravy, but I imagine Jesus is a good southern boy. He dips this bread in this gravy, and he gives it to Judas. Now, this is hard to imagine, but I found a color picture that kind of, that kind of uh, gives a little bit more of how it looks. Now, they're, look how close they are. Man, I don't like it when people get close to me when I eat. They're practically laying on top of each other, and... Their fingers are in each other's food. See, meals like this banquet is going to break down barriers and it's going to build relationships. And if you eat in a meal like this, what you are saying to somebody who you're leaning against is, I'm with you, brother. You're my friend. I accept you for who you are. I identify with you. Now, that still doesn't quite help us understand. But people don't change. I have another picture of a meal in Iran from 2022. They're all eating on the floor. They're all touching each other. They're dipping their fingers into each other's food. This couple's even laying on each other. See, if you eat in a meal like this, you're saying, you're with me and I'm with you. The Pharisees didn't mind if you ate with other people, but they did mind who was on the guest list. And the Pharisees condemned Jesus and his disciples for eating like this with these sinners and tax collectors. Don't you know that if you touch somebody unclean, you're going to get unclean? Jesus, we want you to be a doctor. Just don't ever go visit sick people. Right? Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, what is going on? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why did Jesus come? How would you fill out this phrase, the Son of Man came to earth? Fill out that phrase, dot, dot, dot. Three ways the Scripture tells us the Son of Man came. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. The first two explain why Jesus came, and the third reason explains how he did it to save the lost, how he did it to serve eating and drinking. I love that Jesus came alongside sinners, those who were outcasts, and he says, I'm going to help you get into the kingdom of God. I'm not going to condemn you from afar. 
come to call sinners to repentance. Even people who think they're righteous are not righteous. But if you think you're righteous, you can't get into the kingdom of God because you won't repent. Jesus is only coming to seek and save sinners. Isn't that incredible? If you think you are good, you've missed the boat. One of the greatest lies in all of history that Satan gets to share in other religions and other religious beliefs is that if you are good enough, you get to go to heaven. And so people work hard at being good, and they do all the right things, and they're still lost. That's scary to imagine. The Pharisees, with all of their 600 and some odd rules, listen, they obeyed those rules. They did a lot of right things, and yet they were still sinners outside the kingdom of God. And they made it so difficult, they wouldn't allow other sinners to get into the kingdom. Only the really wealthy had enough time and money to spend all that hours ritually cleansing themselves to be able to go into the temple. I heard about a church just recently, and this isn't our church today, but it was our church several decades ago. A man showed up at church. He'd never been, but he had just overcame him. He needed to go to church. It was Easter last Sunday, and he showed up in shorts, and he sat in the back, and he just said, I need to find out about this Jesus thing. And somebody leaned over to him and said, next time when you come, you need to dress more appropriately. He said, there won't be a next time. He got up and he left. How could you eat with somebody like that? Isn't it crazy that the Scripture tells us who to eat with? It says if you have a Christ-following friend who lives in sin, sets up camp in sin, and defends, and defends sin as good, defends what is evil as what is right, Scripture says you're not supposed to eat with that person. You're supposed to reject friendship with that person. But if you know somebody who's outside of the faith, who is a sinner, Scripture tells us we're supposed to eat with that person. But won't we get sin on us? No. Not if we take Christ to him. Now, there's probably some meals, probably some relationships you know where you're going to be more tempted. Maybe you take a friend to go eat there. Maybe you have a group praying for you when it happens. But there is instructions on who to eat with found in Scripture. Several years ago, there was a couple in our church who'd begun to live together. They grew up in the church. They knew God's laws about sexual behavior. They knew that they should be married before they had sex. They knew they should not live together unless they are married. And they invited me to lunch, and they asked me to bless their relationship of sin. They set up camp in sin. They were living in sin, and they were defending sin as correct way of living. I said, you, you all know what is right. Yeah, we know but we just want you to be okay with it. I'm not. Scripture says we need to stop eating together, and I ask them to stop having communion with us. They found another church that would say it's okay. That's a dangerous place to live. What we have to do is we have to follow the example of Levi 
We need to imitate Levi that he recognized that when he started following Jesus, he needed to do things that he could do to reach people who were lost and bring them to the good news that found him. Come and meet the man that made me quit my job. Wouldn't you go to that party? Or we need to follow the example of Christ who did not condemn from afar, but he went side by side with people to bring them into the kingdom of God. We need to avoid imitating the Pharisees. I need to make a confession that I have acted like a Pharisee. And maybe you have too. I'll give you my confession. Hold on. If you've ever condemned somebody from afar and said they need to get a job, but you didn't go help them get a job, you're acting like the Pharisees. If you've ever condemned somebody for drinking too much and you said they need to, they're just a drunk, and you condemned them from afar, but you didn't move into a relationship with them to help ease their pain, to help take them to AA, then you're acting like a Pharisee. Here's my confession. This is where the scripture, oh, it's breaking my heart. It's still breaking my heart. My daughter has a friend who's a teacher that I think is a bad influence on my daughter. This teacher's nice. Teacher's friendly. I just think, She's a bad influence. And I condemned this teacher from a distance. And I would say things like, don't you understand? The reason why her life is in shambles is because of the decisions she's making. Don't you get it that she's leading you down a path of destruction and death? And I'm condemning this woman but I'm not even praying for her. <laughs> and I didn't go meet her. And I didn't say, I wanna be your friend. Don't you see, I've become the Pharisee, telling my daughter, how could you socialize with that person? Not only is this breaking my relationship with the person I've never even prayed for. But it hurts my relationship with God who calls me to act like Jesus. And it hurts my relationship with my daughter who sees me condemning from afar but not willing to act like Christ. Where are you today? Are you Levi? Are you Jesus? Are you the Pharisee? In March of this year, an ad, a $100 million ad campaign started called Jesus Gets Us. And it's just this ad campaign that talks about Jesus gets us, Jesus gets us, Jesus gets us. It's say Jesus was wrongly judged. He was attacked. He was betrayed. He was lied about. Jesus was tortured. Jesus was canceled. Jesus gets us. If you've been in that position, he gets you. Jesus gets us. Jesus felt loneliness. He felt anxiety. He felt uh, loss. He was betrayed and had broken relationships. Jesus gets you if you've ever been that way. $100 million on these ads. If you click on the link, you can find a Bible study. You can talk with somebody live. You can leave a prayer request. And there are some people who hate this because th there, is, there is some legitimate tension here. Because if you make Jesus a product, when you come to Jesus, you might treat him like a product. 
And there's a fine line between advertisement and evangelism. Jesus gets us. But they're trying to reach people with the gospel of Christ. And if they're not for us, if they're not for us, we can leave them. But if they're for Christ, Jesus says, if they're for us, don't stop them. But maybe you don't have $100 million to spend on an ad. Maybe you can be like uh, Nathan. Nathan grew up in a Muslim family in Iran. His name, let me get his last name correct, uh, Rastapur. He grew up Muslim in Iran. He read the Quran. He prayed three times a day, and he fasted during Ramadan. But he always had this fear, like what would happen if his parents died? What would happen if he died? And then when he was 17 years old, a relative came in who had been working with a missionary sent to Iran, and this relative began explaining, Jesus is Lord. And she explained, John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that if you believe, you can have eternal life. And she just get, prayed for him and told them the good news about Jesus. And one sentence stuck out to him the most. He said, Jesus can take away your fear of death and guarantee eternal life. See, his relative in a dangerous country that they're actually killed for converting to Jesus Christ was sharing the testimony about Jesus. Here in our country, we condemn from afar, we don't go eat with sinners, and we hold our testimony in. And Nathan said he became a Christ follower. And his mom started following Jesus. And not too long, his brother and his dad started following Jesus. And they, they were taken to this secret house church in Iran. And when the house church leader was arrested and tortured and killed, the family had to flee. Now Nathan works on social media platforms to train people in the Middle East on how to be a disciple of Jesus. He, is, he meets with, with Christians in Afghanistan, Iran, and Tajikistan. I can't even say that word. Weekly on Instagram. I don't even know what Instagram is. He weekly trains them, and once or twice a year, he meets in a Central Asian country so he can see them face-to-face, -face, and they go back and, and, and retrain people in their house churches. And he keeps starting house churches, secret house churches, in lands that reject and will kill you if you're a Christian. But maybe you don't have a social media platform. Maybe you don't know what Instagram is. So let me ask you. Do you own your home or do you consider it a tool to be used for the Lord? Do you have money that is yours or do you consider it a blessing from God to be used in his kingdom? What about your life? Is it your life or have you given up everything and followed Jesus and now your life is what Jesus says your life is? Because I don't have a social media platform, and I'm not starting secret house churches. I don't have $100 million to do an ad campaign, but I have a home. I make an income, and I got to ask, am I using my life for the kingdom of God? Is there a command I need to obey? Is there an example I need to imitate or avoid? 
Is there a promise I need to take hold of? Is there a warning I need to heed? I think there's a huge warning in here that it's so easy to become a Pharisee. Rosaria Butterfield, who wrote a book called, and I recommend, go read this book. You know, uh, I have uh, some friends of mine who said, you just need to read the Bible. Oh, yes, that's true. But it shuts down any, anybody whose God has made a teacher. God gave us teachers. Those teachers have written books that help explain the Scripture that helps me understand it. So, yes, keep reading your Bible and keep understanding from other teachers. Rosaria Butterfield wrote a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And she says, if you're going to give up everything and follow Jesus, then you need to start presenting your life before the Lord so he could use you in God appointments, divine appointments. She says one of the ways that you can make room for divine appointments, that you can start looking for divine appointments, is start living below your means. Because if you live below your means, that means you have extra income. So when God provides a divine appointment, you can provide money to help somebody in need so that they can know Jesus. We teach in this church that the scripture teaches, the Bible teaches, God teaches that if you're going to be a Christ follower, you need to learn how to give an offering, be in consistent offering. The scripture says your first fruits need to go to God. And so we say, hey, you give to the kingdom of God. Uh, there's a group of financial team here that makes sure your money is spent wisely, um, that you have given to the kingdom of God. And we say you need to do that, you know, weekly, biweekly, whatever consistent way you can give. But above and beyond that is sacrificial giving. And so at the end of May, we're going to do this food pack for uh, food for Ukrainians that have been displaced by the war. Uh, millions have come out of the Ukraine, are in Poland, they're in the surrounding countries, they're being shipped all over Egypt, uh, all over Europe, and another wave of millions have just come out, and the churches that are taking in these refugees are running out of food, they're running out of clothing, they're running out of places for these people to stay, and you know what, we can help. But if I don't live below my means, I don't have a way to sacrificially give to help somebody. Max Brockmeyer, one of our students here, he is the son of Tony and Cheryl Brockmeyer, our youth minister and children's minister. Um, not too long ago, he would see a homeless person. He says, Mom, Dad, we need to help that homeless person. And Max is so, he's not unique in this way. He just gets on a one-track mind. we got to help the homeless people. And so what they did was they started making a sandwich when they would go out and they were, thought they might see a homeless person. They'd put it in, wrap it in a in. They'd make a sandwich, they'd put it in a Ziploc bag, and they'd have it in their car ready to give away when they saw somebody in need. And they allowed Max, their son, to act like Jesus to somebody who is an outcast. But if you don't live below your means, you don't have the means to help people. She also says, Rosario Butterfield also says, you need to leave room, leave margin in your calendar for when God wants to disrupt your routine, not destroy your routine, just disrupt your routine so you can go help somebody. I love how uh, we have people of our church, uh, Kathy and Susie and Mary, that they will drive people to the doctor's office when they need a ride to the doctor's office. It disrupts their routine. That wasn't in their, in their schedule for the day, but they see a need and they go have a need. Sometimes I'll give them a call and say, hey, can you give this person a ride? And they'll say, oh, I, I can't. And I'll go to the next person and they say, oh, I can't. But a lot of times they say, yeah, I can do that. 
I love how John, one of the members of our church, he invites people to lunch that need encouragement. He just brings them in to lunch. Uh, a lot of times it's Skyline, and he just asks them how they're doing. He takes care of them, and he buys them lunch. But you have to leave room in your schedule to do this. So far, I have failed at both of Rosaria Butterfield's suggestions to help people. Live below your means and leave room in your schedule. And we stay busy and we spend all of our money and we're not being like Jesus. And the last one she says, and we fail at this one too, she says, let people see your mess. You can't come to my house right now, and don't look at me, wife. You can't come to our house right now because we have clothes out of the drying machine that are on the, it's on the couch, not folded. And those clothes will probably stay there until we have guests. They're not my clothes. Well, some of them might be my clothes. Okay, they're my clothes. But listen, we have to let people see our mess and know that we're not perfect. Otherwise, we don't leave room to interact with other people who are not perfect. And so you know what you need to do? When your clothes are on the couch and they haven't been folded, but you need to help somebody and bring them into your home to eat with them, when they get to your house, you need to say, I'm going to fix dinner. Will you help me fold the clothes? So that they can see that you need help and that you're willing to accept help. And then they're more likely to get the help of Christ. We need to run to Christ. We need to reach out and help others. But we also need to repeat repent of our righteousness. That's what I'm doing now. See, we can do all the right moral, we can do all the morally things right and still be relationally wrong. And the Pharisees, they didn't stop at Jesus. So we want you to be a doctor, just don't be around sick people because we are doctors, but we don't get around sick people. We don't want to get sick by them. So they didn't, they didn't stop there. They're at the same conversation. They're at the same meal. They're like, Jesus, we're not only mad at you for who you're around eating with, but we're also mad at you for eating. Why don't you fast like we do? All the rules and regulation of the Pharisees had put on people had become so heavy that nobody could, nobody could stand up under it. So a good disciple of one of the Pharisees would fast twice a week. They would give alms to the poor. They were following all the rules, but it was so heavy. And Jesus says, listen, you know how on the week where somebody gets married, the rabbi comes in and says all the, all the regulations are off, and they just have a great feast for a week. They can eat and enjoy each other's company. He says, that's what it's like. You've been fasting for the kingdom of God to arrive, and I've arrived. So why would I make my disciples fast if the kingdom of God is here? I'm here. Later, I'll be taken from them. This is one of the first, um, first understandings of Jesus is going to go to the cross and die a sacrificial death for everyone. And then after his death, he's going to rise from the dead and be ascended into heaven. He said, you know, after I'm taken from them, then they can fast. But right now we're feasting. What he's really saying is my ways don't fit your ways. But Jesus says we need to repent of that. Anytime our lifestyle butts up against the lifestyle that Jesus explains, commands, or lives, we need to change our lifestyle instead of trying to change Jesus. So Jesus, they're still not getting it. They're like, you're a doctor, but we don't want you around sick people. You're the king of heaven, but we, we don't want you to celebrate. 
So Jesus tries to explain it again. He said, you know, nobody does this thing. Nobody does this way. They don't take something, a new piece of cloth, and patch it on an old piece of cloth, because when it washes, the new is going to shrink, and it's going to rip the old cloth even worse than what it was before. What he's actually saying is, I have a new way, and it's going to have to trump your old way, or it's going to destroy relationships. And he gave him another example. They're just not getting it. He says, no one takes new wine and puts it in old wineskins. They would have said, yeah, that makes sense. Because if you put new wine in a new wineskin, the wine's going to continue to ferment. It's going to expand a little bit. The new wineskin has some flexibility, some elasticity, and it's going to expand with the new wine. But after a while, the wineskin becomes a little bit more brittle and not as flexible. So after you empty the old wine out and it's ready sitting empty, if you pour new wine in, the new wine is going to ferment a little bit more and it's going to expand. But because the old wineskin is no longer flexible, it will burst the wineskin. You'll lose the wine and the wineskin. But what Jesus is really saying is, I've got a new way of doing things, and you think the old way is better. You're drinking the old wine saying, no, this is better. I can't have anything to do with the new. And yet Jesus says his way is better. Wayne Manning, who's sitting right over there, a member of our church, he, uh, Wayne is so generous. For several months, he, uh, before he had eye surgery, he was driving our church van to help out a school around town. He uh, has built things for this church, uh, wooden projects and uh, kid city projects, and he's built things out of foam. He's built stage design. He's so generous. He said, he told me this not too long ago. He had gone to a conference, and somebody was explaining the wineskins to him. He said, Dale, all these new methods that we don't like. This preacher told me I was the old wineskin. You remember that? And you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, we need to repent and change and go his way. And Wayne, I know, does try to do anything to help anybody else. But what about you? Is there something in this passage? Is there an example here you need to imitate or avoid? Is there a command you need to obey? Is there a promise that you see here that you need to latch onto? Is there a warning that you need to heed? Let me read it again, and we'll just take a couple of seconds and we'll just pray. And see if God doesn't answer that question. Let me read it again. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their secret sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new one will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. 
And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say, the old is better. Would you just pray for a minute and see if there's an example that God wants you to begin imitating or a command God wants you to obey or a warning he wants you to heed? Let's pray. Lord, would you open up our minds to be able to see and understand where we are falling short of your glory. And you're calling us to repent. To leave our old way of doing things and take on your way of doing things. Lord, would you identify to us, would you make part of this passage of Scripture radioactive to our minds and to our hearts where we will see an example where we need to imitate or command we need to obey. Lord, allow that to come to fruition in our life with obedience and action so that we will be faithful to your call. Lord, I confess that I have condemned from afar instead of walking into a relationship to lead someone else to Christ. Lord, give me the courage, the confidence, give me the strength to obey. And Lord, I know that you promise anything we ask in your will, you will grant it, and you will provide the Holy Spirit. So thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.